number two. We started this study on Sunday morning, and we didn't get very in the Sunday school, and I didn't get very far. So we'll just start over again, since I didn't get too far. Uh, considering the Lord's incarnation, and I think we're going to look further at particularly the the side of the incarnation on Sunday uh, as we consider our Lord's birth. It's it's the time of year that, that we celebrate that, and we we um, and like I said, we we talked about this in Sunday school on Sunday morning. I don't know if it was December twenty fifth or not. I have no idea. Um, the the Bible doesn't give us the calendar necessarily, uh, but I, I will give you some some hints in regards to it is what the as far as the scripture goes, as far as history teaches us. Um, but it's it is the time of year that we do celebrate it. Uh, by and large, there are those that struggle with parts of it and struggle with all of it because of uh, the pagan influences that are a part of the holiday, and we recognize those and see those things. Um, uh, there are those that, that buck against it and don't want anything to do with it, and then there are others that go whole hog in it, and uh, and for those that go whole hog, go whole hog. And those that buck against it, buck against it. It's all right with me. Uh, that's their liberty to do that one way or another. Whichever it is, that's what Paul tells us about there in the book of Romans, that we have that liberty uh, that if we want to enjoy those holidays, if we want to enjoy those, we have that we have that liberty, we have that right. If we don't want to, we have that liberty and we have that right that we don't, don't have to do that. But I, as far as the worship, or the, uh, the celebration rather, of our Lord's birth, I, I don't have a problem with it, uh, simply for the fact that angels didn't have a problem with it. Uh, they worshipped uh, at his birth. The shepherds, they celebrated his birth. They worshipped at his birth. The wise men celebrated concerning the Lord's birth, although that was not the day of his birth that those guys celebrated. Uh, but nevertheless, they celebrated his birth. And so I, I don't have a problem with us celebrating his birth either. Uh, we, we should, should celebrate the, the, the birth of our Lord, the incarnation of our Lord, because without that incarnation, we don't have anything else. Without Him coming as a babe in the manger, then we don't have the crucifixion, we don't have His life of righteousness, we don't have His resurrection, we don't have anything else without this incarnation. And so this is something for us, especially as God's people, to celebrate. Whether we do it on December 25th or do it on January 6th or whether we do it July 4th, it don't matter. <laughs> we should celebrate the birth of our Lord because of what it means for us, the incarnation of our Lord, the fulfillment of that very promise that He has given that He would come, that He would live among us uh, in the likeness of sinful flesh, yet without sin, living that perfect sinless life for us, earning our righteousness in our stead that He might die in our place and give unto us eternal life. Uh, that's something indeed to celebrate. We read here in, in Luke chapter 2, beginning in verse 1, it came to pass. I love that phrase in the Scriptures, it came to Pass because that means every time you read that, what is being declared there is the promise God has made is now fulfilled. The promise God made you is done. It's fulfilled now. It came to pass. Just what God promised happened. 
And that's what he's declaring here to us. It came to pass in those days that there went out a decree from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be taxed. Came a decree, a decree rather, from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be taxed. And this taxing was first made when Cyrenius was governor of Syria. And all went to be taxed, every one, into his own city. And Joseph also went up from Galilee out of the city of Nazareth into Judea unto the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be taxed with Mary, his espoused wife, being great with child. And it was so that while they were there, the days were accomplished that she should be delivered. And she brought forth her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. And there were in the same country shepherds abiding in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And lo, the angel of the Lord came upon them, and the glory of the Lord shone round about them, and they were sore afraid. And the angel said unto them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people, for unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. And this shall be a sign unto you, you shall find a babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. It came to pass as the angels were gone away from them into heaven, the shepherds said one to another, Let us now go, even unto Bethlehem, and see this thing which has come to pass, which the Lord hath made known unto us. And they came with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the babe lying in a manger. When they had seen it, they made known abroad the saying which was told them concerning this child. They didn't just celebrate with Mary and Joseph. They went around telling everybody else. The Christ, our Savior, is born. We saw Him. The angels told us where He was at. And all they that heard it wondered at those things which were told them by the shepherds. But Mary kept all these things and pondered them in her heart. One of the most, one of the most popular songs today, Christmas songs everybody plays, is Mary, did you know? She knew. She, she knew. She knew exactly who she gave birth to because it was told her. It was told her. Now, again, whether this was December 25th, I don't, I don't know. There is pretty good history behind it, believe it or not, that tells us it was December 25th. I was uh, trying to remember one of the early church fathers that I'd read from Sunday morning, and I, I got his name right, but got the wrong details wrong about what he recorded. Uh, but it was actually several uh, of those early church fathers, in, anywhere from the late 100s to the middle 200s, uh, 
that all said that Jesus was born December 25th. And I found that interesting. I, I knew a couple, uh, but I, I found there were, there were actually a few that had said that Jesus was born December 25th, and I, I found that interesting. Uh, Irenaeus was one of the first ones. Irenaeus was a disciple of Polycarp. You may have heard of Polycarp. Part of Polycarp was the pastor at Smyrna, and he was also disciple of John the Revelator. He was saved under John's ministry. And he pastored, and then Irenaeus was one that came after Polycarp. Polycarp, of course, was killed, was martyred at the age of 86 uh, for his faith in Christ Jesus. And Irenaeus, his disciple, the one that followed him, he wrote uh, that and, and just stated it plainly in his writing, Jesus was born December 25th. Now, he didn't give any history to it or any reason why he believed that. He just made that statement. He was born December 25th. Uh, he lived between 130 and 202. And so I don't know exactly when he wrote that statement in his writings, but he lived from 130 A.D. to 202 A.D. Sextus Julius Africanus is the one I was talking about Sunday, but get, put it with Hippolytus instead, but uh, Sextus Africanus, he wrote in 221 that Jesus was born on December 25th. He was not trying to figure out when Jesus was born, but rather when Mary conceived. And from his study concerning Zacharias and when Zacharias was uh, performing his order in the temple, as the scripture gives us hints concerning that, based upon when that when his order was there performing those particular duties, and he began to figure out, okay, Elizabeth is pregnant then, six months later is when Mary's pregnant, and so this would be the time that Jesus was born. And uh, one of the, the traditions of that day was, whatever day a prophet is conceived on, he is born on that same day, exactly nine months later. And so he figured in his, in his figuring, Jesus was conceived March 25th. And so he just wrote as a side note in his writing, well, that means he was born December 25th. <laughs> so I, I don't know, that's, that was just their tradition at that time. Why? He, but I, maybe he was just going along with what Irenaeus had already stated. And Hippolytus, in one set, he lived from 170 to 236, and Hippolytus stated that Jesus was born December 25th. The Donatists, an early Baptist group in northern Africa, they actually celebrated December 25th as the Lord's birthday. Uh, so there were was, there was several that made mention of that particular day. I don't know if it was that day or not. Um, I don't know. It's not given to us in the Scripture. And there's not enough historical evidence to, to decide one way or another. It don't really matter. It's, it's what we have as it, as the day. And so we celebrate what it is uh, for that day, the birth of our Lord. We, we read here in our text in, in verse 1 concerning uh, this taxing that was to be done. And it was ordered by Caesar Augustus. Now, Caesar Augustus was the adopted son of Julius Caesar. The one who was stabbed to death by his, all of his buddies. Brutus. Et tu brute. You know. And so uh, Caesar Augustus followed him. And Caesar Augustus, Augustus didn't like, actually his name was not Augustus, it was Octavianus. 
hard to say that name. His name was Octavianus, and Octavianus decided he needed to have a new name when he became emperor, but he didn't like the title emperor, and he didn't like the title king, so he went with what his adopted daddy had and said, I'll just call myself Caesar. And so that's, that's the reason he calls himself Caesar and changed his name to Augustus, declaring himself that he was a god. And uh, this is, of course, as Rome was expanding around the world and they were taking over these other nations and as they're expanding into these other nations and, and taking over their kingdoms, these particular gods that ruled, especially among the Egyptians, the Egyptians believed their pharaohs were gods. They were celebrated as gods. They worshipped them as gods. And Caesar Augustus says, well, if I go down and conquer them and they're a god, well, I must be a god too. And so he declared himself a god. Um, nobody worships Caesar Augustus. He's dead. He's dust. Even now, nobody celebrates him as a god at all. But during his time, during his ministry there in, in Rome, he proclaimed the whole of the empire, the known world at that time, would be taxed And before the taxing could be completed, there would be a required census. And that census then required the husbands to go to their birth cities. And and there in their birth cities, sign their census papers so they could show what family they come from, who they are, where they were living now. And upon conducting that census, then they were to pay their tax that was required hereby. Caesar Augustus. And so he had to go to the city of lineage. And so Joseph, being born of the house of David, had to go to the city of David, which is Bethlehem, to pay that tax. And the taxing was first made, verse 2, when Cyrenius was governor of Syria. And all went to be taxed, every one into his own city. And so Joseph also went up from Galilee, out of the city of Nazareth, into Judea, under the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was the house and lineage of David, to be taxed with Mary, his espoused wife, being great with child. We've, we've talked about this before. Satan has always desired to destroy the will of God. It's what he does in our lives. It's what he's done in our families' lives, our ancestors, the folks that come before us. That's, that's how he's always operated. He seeks to destroy God's will in the lives of God's people. He tries not only with us as individuals and not only with us as families and family lines, but he has tried to do so with the big things as well, especially with the big things that God has prophesied concern. And so here, this is one of those instances. And throughout the Old Testament, he attempted to do this. He attempted to to wipe out the ability for God to send his son as was promised to Eve there in Genesis chapter 3 and verse number 15. And so every way, he knew who God's people were. He knew who God had chosen. He knew how it was going to come to pass given the prophecies that were given. And so here Satan is, he's attempting all along the way to try to stop it in different places. We can see that throughout the scripture as he attacks God's people, trying to keep God from fulfilling his promise. 
you'd think he would learn. That he ain't going to stop God. But here's another one of those instances. Mary, great with child. Traveling some 70, 75 miles. Some even go up to 83 miles. That they travel to get from Nazareth to Bethlehem in order to pay this tax. And she's great with child. She's about to give birth. And here they are on the road traveling down to pay this tax. And you know Satan's desire. Oh, maybe I can make her go into early labor. Maybe I can cause this to be such a rough. Maybe the child will die on the journey some way. I'll get this stopped. But it is even in Satan's trying to manipulate, trying to stop God's will, he does this. And it's exactly what happens every time somebody tries to thwart God's will. They end up fulfilling it exactly what God wanted to fulfill. I love that. Because here, because of this taxing, the prophecy then was fulfilled according to Micah chapter 5 and verse number 2 that Jesus was born in exactly the location He was supposed to be born in. Had it not been for this taxing, Mary would have probably given birth in Nazareth. There's no command anywhere that we read in the Scriptures to Mary or to Joseph. How y'all get down to Bethlehem? So the, the baby can be born there in Bethlehem. God didn't tell him that. God didn't tell him that. He just told her she's going to have the king. She was going to have the savior. It'd be through her that Messiah would come. That was all he told her. He didn't tell her where she had to go and what she had to do to get there. The promise was that he would be born in the city of Bethlehem, Ephratah, in Micah chapter 5 and verse number 2. And because of this taxing, they were put in exactly the right place to fulfill the prophecies that he would come out of Galilee, that he would be born in Bethlehem, that he would come forth out of Egypt. Had three prophecies concerning the Lord and his early childhood. He would come out of Galilee, he would be born in Bethlehem, Ephratah down in Judea, and would come up out of Egypt. He had those scholars that were arguing back and forth all of those years. Well, no, he's coming out of Egypt. No, he's coming out of out of Judea, out of out of, out of the northern country. No, he's going to be born in Bethlehem. And so they would. Don't you see what the prophecies say? And here God, he's got all three of those and fulfills all three of them. He brings them forth out of Nazareth. He's born there in Bethlehem. He would go down into Egypt to protect them from. From Herod and then come forth again out of Egypt back into Israel again. Cannot thwart God's will. He fulfills it every time. And he performs it to the detail. To the detail. If he says it in his prophecy, it will be to the detail that he fulfills it in the, in the fulfillment of that prophecy. It came to pass. It came just like he said, it came to pass. And so they are made, they are brought then into the right location exactly to fulfill the purpose and will of God. We also see in this trip, this birth, the fullness of his humanity. He was born in a stable, 
or at least in the place where the animals were kept. They had kind of a strange, uh, I don't know what it would have been in the inn at that time, how they would have how they would have had the inn built necessarily, but a regular home, just a, a normal home in Judea at that time would have the living quarters basically on the second floor. And in fact, people lived most of the time out on their rooftops even. But they had most of their living up on the second floor. The bottom floor was their barn. And so they would actually have the cattle and stuff inside the house. When they brought them in the house, especially in the cold of the year, they'd bring them in the house there. And that would be in that bottom level there. That's where your cattle would stay. And you lived on the second floor. And I guess there's a reason because the cattle were in the first floor. Most people lived up on the rooftops when when it was warm enough to get out there. You wouldn't want to be inside the house with the cattle. So I don't know if that was the case there at the inn as well, if they were just down in that area where the cattle were, or if it was a separate area that, that from the, the inn uh, where, the, where the cattle were kept there. But it was, it was nevertheless where the cattle were that our Lord would be born in, where Mary and Joseph had to reside for the night because there was no room for them in the inn. And she wrapped him in swaddling clothes. In fact, that would be a sign to them, to those shepherds that would come and find him in the manger, was that he would be wrapped in swaddling clothes. Not a kingly robe. Not not that which you would put on the newborn king, but rather swaddling clothes that were left there in the stable that they would wrap up the newborn lambs with to keep them warm. In their first night after the birth. The Lamb of God. Wrapped in the swaddling clothes. Laid there in the manger. That was a sign to those shepherds. To recognize who he was. The Lamb of God. Just like his ministry, so was his birth. Luke chapter 9 and verse number 58. I'm sorry, not 58. Maybe it is 58. Yes, 58. Luke chapter 9 verse 58. Jesus said unto him, Foxes have holes. And birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man hath not where to lay his head. Just like his ministry, so was his birth. Laid in a manger. No crown, no flowing kingly robes, swaddling clothes. Swaddling clothes from the baby lambs to be wrapped in. Now, verse 8 tells us that the shepherds were in the field keeping watch over their flock by night. And this is the reason most believe that it was not in the wintertime, not December 25th, because by that time, usually the shepherds were not out in the field at night. It was too cold. They would have their sheep into the sheepfolds at night 
uh, to keep them warm there because of the winter months. They have the same winter months we've got. They, it gets cold there in the desert, especially in the desert at nighttime. It might be warmer there during the day, but it gets cool at night. And so they wouldn't normally have those animals out in the wintertime uh, at night. But it may have been a warm December that year. I don't know. Uh, maybe it, maybe it was maybe it was seventy degrees. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know, I have no idea. But this is what most look to there, verse number eight. Say, well, it probably wouldn't in the wintertime. It might be probably in the springtime, or maybe maybe the lambing season, or whatever the case may have been. But uh, whenever it was, it was, and he was born. In verse nine, it says, and lo, the angel of the Lord came upon them, and the glory of the Lord shone round about them, and they were sore. Afraid. The angels announced his birth. There was no fanfare by the world. Despite the prophecies of his coming, not many were looking for him. Especially as a baby to some teen mother in a manger in an inn's stable in Bethlehem. It's not what they were looking for. Even though Isaiah 7, 14, Isaiah 9 and verse number 6 gives us the prophecy that he would be born of a virgin. Micah 5 and verse number 2 that would be in Bethlehem, Ephratah. Only a few like Anna and Simeon and the kings of the east were watching, were expecting his coming and recognizing him when they saw him. Only a few. Truly he was the king of this world. He was the king to all sorts of people, not just to nobility, not just to the rich, not not in royal palatial halls, but a feeding trough for animals. The good shepherd came to a group of lowly shepherds. And here is the proclamation from heaven. Verse 12 down through verse number 14 it says, And this shall be a sign unto you. You shall find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth. Peace, goodwill toward men. The proclamation that peace, goodwill toward men. In the Greek... Literally, it says, peace among men with whom he is pleased. Peace among men with whom he is pleased. That's what Isaiah 48, 22 tells us. Isaiah 48, verse number 22. There is no peace, saith the Lord. Unto the wicked. There is no peace, saith the Lord, unto the wicked. Romans 5 and verse number 1. Romans 5 and verse 1. Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. 
peace among men with whom he is pleased. This peace that he comes to give is to those that believe. It was peace to the shepherds because they believed, you see. They believed what they were told. They believed when they saw Him. It was peace to them because they believed what they were told, what they even saw. It was peace to the wise men that were looking for Him that would come later on seeking this King who was born that they might worship Him. Even bringing Him gifts to pay, by the way, for that journey down into Egypt. That frankincense, gold, and myrrh. What, uh, you heard people say, all night, well, what good did that do a baby? Well, it paid for his family's escape to Egypt and for them to live there while they needed to live there in order for them to return back home. That's why God gave him those gifts to those wise men. Amen. It was peace to these folks. It was peace to the shepherds. It was peace to the wise men. It was peace to Anna. It was peace to Simeon. It was peace... To Mary and Joseph, it was peace to them because they believed what they were told. It was not peace to Herod. Those wise men came to him because they, well, let's go to Jerusalem. If anybody knows where the king's born, the king would know. So let's go to Jerusalem and find out where the king is born. And they come to Herod and ask Herod, hey, we're looking for the king. We know he's born. We saw his sign. We know the reality that he's been born because of what the heavens declared to us. We've come to worship the new king. And Herod said, well, you go and find him. And when you find him, you come back and tell me so I can come and worship him as well. And so they go, they find the Lord, they worship Him, they bring Him these gifts. And they are warned of the angel, don't go back there, don't go back to Herod. You all go on home another way. And so they did. And Herod in his anger determined in order to wipe out this new king, he was not going to have somebody else coming along behind him to rule. He was king. Nobody was going to take his position And so he determined to kill every male child two years old and younger in the land of of Israel. And in fact, Josephus writes that Herod killed his own son that was the same age. Killed his own son. So that he couldn't take the throne. Guess what happened to Herod? He died... He died. Somebody else became king. You can't stop. You can't stop God's will. It was turmoil to Herod. It was not peace. It was not peace. It's to those that believe. To those that believe, it is peace. To know God has fulfilled His promise. That's peace for His children. That's peace for those that believe in Him. And we see there the joy of the shepherds. Verse 15 down through verse number 18. As they celebrated the reality of what they had seen and what they were told. Came to pass as the angels were gone away from them into heaven. The shepherds said one to another, Let us now go even unto Bethlehem and see this thing which has come to pass. 
which the Lord had made known unto us. And they came with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the babe lying in a manger. And when they had seen it, they made known abroad the saying which was told them concerning this child. And all they that heard it wondered at those things which were told them by the shepherds. Verse 19, Mary kept all these things and pondered them in her heart. Now the world loves this story. They love this idea about the Savior who was born. The problem is, and it's the same thing they do with Easter. Same thing they do at the crucifixion. There are those that love those parts about the Lord's ministry, about His life, about His person. They love the idea of Him being a baby in the manger. They want to leave Him there in the manger. They like the idea of Him dying for us, but they want to leave Him right there on the cross. They don't want to consider Him anywhere else. They don't want to consider all the things that He did and all the things that He said in between those two either. So they like to keep Him in the manger. They like to keep Him on the cross. He's not threatening to them in that manner. They perceive Him to be, oh, it's a beautiful story, but... They perceive him to be weak. He's a baby. He's in in a manger there. We don't have to worry about his judgment. We don't have to worry about his wrath. And yes, he was a weak infant child there in the manger. But at the same time, he was the weak infant child in that manger. He was also the God of heaven. holding the stars in their place. That's hard for us to even wrap our minds around. But it is the truth of who Christ Jesus is. God in flesh. The incarnate Son who is Creator and Sustainer Of it all, wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. He gave up His glory. He laid it aside to take this flesh. But He never gave up His Godhood. He was God. And at the same same time, He was lying in that manger. Oh, it is a great and glorious work our Lord has accomplished for us to bring to pass for us this incarnation of Christ Jesus, this birth of our Lord, Him taking upon Himself flesh. What a great and wondrous work that is performed for us because it is through His life, His death, His Burial, His resurrection from the grave. It is through all that He did that gives to you and I salvation in Him. And only in Him.
our Savior. Christ Jesus the Lord. Let's all stand. We'll be dismissed.